0: If you would turn me in your Bible to the book of Second Peter, Book of Second Peter, chapter three, verses eleven through eighteen. As you turn there, I want you to think about just, just for a moment how often in the entirety of our lives that we spend waiting. Waiting, waiting for, for something. You know, As kids, we wait for school to get out. If you're like me, you waited for school to get out each day, you wait for it to get out each summer, and then you wait for it to get out at the end of, of high school and graduate and be done. And here I am, 20 years from kindergarten, I'm still in school and still waiting to be done. And uh, you wait at, at stoplights or, or stop signs every day. You wait at doctor's offices, Every day, you wait at, you wait at, this morning you was waiting here before the service start. You might have been waiting 10, 15 minutes, five minutes before it started. Uh, you might wait for your favorite TV show to come on every, every week. If you're like a select few of us here, you wait for The Mandalorian to, to air every, every Friday and you're excited for it and you wait for it to come out. All that to say is that we're waiting constantly, it seems like. Throughout most of our lives, we're waiting for something. Every day we're waiting for something, waiting for maybe test results or we're waiting for different, different things. See, the idea that I want us to get is just that how much we wait. I want you to keep that in mind as we read this text this morning because as we're going to see, Peter addresses a people who are waiting, a people who are waiting. And as we will see, Peter is very concerned with how we wait. He doesn't want us to just wait as we might would wait for a doctor's office appointment. He wants us to wait in a very particular way, in a very active way. So read with me in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time that we have to come together and to read uh, your inspired word, dear God. I pray that you would help it to, uh, to mold us, dear God, and to shape us and to show us what we ought to be doing uh, while we wait here in this life, dear God. And so all these things I pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen. So now that we have just, just read this, this very last passage of, of Peter to these particular Christians, I want you to think about just that, that this is his, his last words, his last interaction with these Christians. And, and in these final words, he is in some ways recapping what he's already taught, He talks about false teachers, talks about living lives of of godliness, uh, about growing in, in Christ. But also he does so in a very particular context. And that context, as I said in our introduction, is the context of waiting. He is speaking to a people who are waiting. Three times he describes Christians as waiting. Verse 12 he says, Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Verse 13 he says, We are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth. And then in 14, he says, since you are waiting for these. So the context of this passage and the context of the exhortations that Peter gives here is the fact that we are a waiting people. We're waiting for the coming again of Jesus. And in this way, me and you are very much like these Christians who lived some 2,000 years ago because we're waiting for the same thing. We're waiting for the, for the coming of Jesus. And so regardless of the, if that comes in our lifetime, where it comes from a thousand lifetimes from now, we are waiting for that to happen. We are waiting for the, the coming of Jesus and for all things to be made new, as Peter says. And this, this fact that we are waiting is so important to Peter. It's so important that Christians know this because there were false teachers in Peter's time who were teaching, there's really, we're not really waiting for anything. God's, God's not really really coming again. There's no judgment to come. They say that because God hasn't yet come, that He's not going to come. And Peter is urgently saying, no, the Lord is coming again, and judgment is coming. And because He is coming, we are to live diligent lives. We are to live lives of, of holiness and, and purposeful lives. And because He is coming, then we are in fact waiting. So we are awaiting People. And Peter in this text answers two questions that we could be asking or that we should be asking even about this waiting. The first question is this, what are we waiting for? What is it that we are waiting for? We know, as we've already said this morning, that as believers we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus, for His return. But Peter tells us in verse 13, he says, But according to His promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 12 and verse 10 before that also explain that when the day of the Lord comes, that the current earth and, and the current heavens are going to be burned and, and dissolved. Verse 10 even goes on to say that the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so while we may not know exactly what that looks like, looks like, and while we may differ in how we interpret this, What we do see is this this strong contrast between the earth now and the new heaven. On the one hand, there is the earth now in which there are works that will be burned and exposed. On the other hand, there is this new heaven and this new earth in which righteousness dwells. In which righteousness dwells. We often think, I think of heaven as this distant place that we wander off to when we die. But I think what we see here in, in Peter is this truth that, that eventually heaven comes down. That heaven is going to be the idea of the creation of God renewed where God will exist and dwell with His people. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4 speaks to this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city... So Peter doesn't quite say that much about it, but what he does seem to say is that the new heavens and the new earth will be a place in which righteousness dwells. We we get a gist of that, what we see here, the idea that that God will dwell with His people, that He will be their God, that His presence will be there. It's kind of an echo of, of the promises that He made to Israel. I will be your God and you will be my people. And so that's what we see is this, that heaven isn't all about the streets of gold or the place that it's going to be, but rather it's about the presence of God with us. The idea that we will be face to face with our God, and in there His righteousness will dwell. And I do think when it says that heaven is a place where righteousness dwells, I think that's talking about God's righteousness. The the first verse of this letter, if you look there, chapter 1, verse 1, Peter says to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's by God's righteousness that we, are, that we have faith and that we are saved, and it's by God's righteousness that we long for to come. That, that's what we're hoping for in the future is His righteousness. That's what we're waiting for. So it, it talks about the earth burning and being dissolved, and we think about... You know, even the people who have, who have harmed us, that that might happen too. But, but that's not what our hope is in. Notice verse 13 says, But according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new her- earth in which righteousness dwells. So our hope isn't in bad things happening to bad people. That's not what we aim for. That's not what we long for. Our hope is in the good that's to come with the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The idea that God will dwell with His people. That all the pain and tears that we, that we face will be dissolved, as Peter would say. Friday, I, I got the news that a buddy of mine, that was my age, that his dad passed away from brain cancer. And it just, it just broke my heart, especially that we're the same age and our dads are somewhat the same age. You know, Just to think about his family and how bad they're hurting right now, having to deal with this, this loss. Even though, even though they knew it was coming for a while, it doesn't make it any... Easier, and the truth is that all of us at some point face this kind of this kind of loss. You know, if we haven't already, we're going to face it eventually. And I think by it, we're reminded of of how unnatural death is, and how painful death is, and we're reminded of, of all the effects that sin has had on our lives that pain and injustice and depression, and anxiety, and a whole host of other things that just aren't natural to God's creation that have come in through sin. And those things are going to be dissolved in this new earth, in this new creation. I think that is what we long for as we wait, for us to dwell with God and be surrounded by His righteousness. So the first question that Peter answers here is, what is it that we are waiting for? What is it that we are waiting for? And the second question I think Peter answers is, what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait? So because Peter has made it clear that we are waiting and that despite what the false teachers would say, the Lord is in fact coming, Jesus or Peter wants us to not be caught off guard. He wants us to be prepared for this coming of Jesus. Jesus. He wants us to know that Jesus is coming and to know what, what to do while we wait. This, as I was reading about this, I began to think about what I, when I used to work with my dad. My dad's an electrician, and when I was about seven or eight years old, I'd start working with him, and I'd make, no joke, $3 an hour, and I was excited about that $3 an hour. And, uh, but all I could do as an eight-year-old was was screw on the switch covers like the little plugs here just just the covers that go over the plugs that's about all I could do that wouldn't potentially burn down someone's house one day and so he, let, he would let me do that and I would I would work but because that's all I could do there were a lot of times where i would be standing around just watching him work waiting for him to work and I might would, would sit there and put my hands in my pocket while I waited he taught me pretty quick you don't put your hands in your pocket while you're working don't put your hands in your pocket while you're on the clock because it shows that you're not ready. You know, it shows that you don't want to work, that you're not ready to work. So I began to think about that as I was reading this, and I kind of think what Peter is telling us here in these next few verses here is to get your hands out of your pocket. You know, it's not that kind of waiting. It's the kind of waiting in which we are active, in which we are uh, working and, and seeking uh, to draw closer to God. And so he wants us to be prepared. He wants us to have our hands out of our pocket and to be ready to work while we wait. So what do we do while we wait? I want to break this down into kind of three actions that we can do or three kind of practical things that we can do while we wait. And the first one is to seek salvation. Seek salvation. The first thing that we do while we wait is to seek salvation. Read verses 14 and 15 with me again. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And then verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. That's the part that I want us to focus on just for a minute. This is kind of a reminder of what Peter's already said, just a few lines up in verse 9 when he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter, again here, is encouraging us not to take for granted the Lord's patience. He is patient and has given us up at least until this moment to turn to Jesus and repent from our sins. So as Christians, be thankful that the Lord has given you this opportunity to turn and to put your faith in Jesus. But then also, I think we should use the time that we have here. We should use the patience that God has given us to seek the salvation of others as well. So we're thankful that God has given us time to repent and given us time to, to turn in faith to Jesus. But also, we should look outward to other people and say, God is still being patient with them, so we should we should try to seek their salvation as well. And we do that by sharing the gospel with them, by, by talking with them, by by explaining what we read in God's Word to them. Because if God has been patient with us so that we could obtain salvation through faith, then there are certainly others that He is still being patient for. And it's very likely that that you even are the means by which He intends to share the gospel with these people. So we seek the salvation for ourselves while we wait, but also once we are saved, once we have uh, turned in faith to Jesus, we then seek the salvation of others while we wait. I don't know if that's exactly what, what Peter is getting at here, but I certainly think it's an implication of this truth that we seek the salvation of others. Now I want us to back up and look at verse 14. We just read it, but we kind of didn't talk about much, about it, much about it just there. So let's read that one more time and, and think about it. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, And at peace. So again, we get this idea that that Peter doesn't want Christians to be caught off guard by the coming of Jesus. He wants them to know Jesus is coming. He doesn't want us to be caught with our hands in our pockets. And the way that we do this is by being diligent. Verse 14 says, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So, on the one hand, Christians are immediately justified when we come to faith in Jesus. And that is, that is absolutely true. We're immediately completely saved. But on the other hand, there are works that God has given us to do to grow in our relationship to God, to, to be sanctified even. And so then Peter tells us to be diligent, I think, to do these things. and Because he tells us to be diligent, I think he's thinking about the works we do as Christians, not necessarily the idea that we are, are saved because we're immediately saved, but he says to be diligent to do this thing, to be, to be found, Without spot or blemish and at peace. So, as I said earlier, every Christian, even even Christians, are going to face this day of judgment and going to be judged on the way they lived their life, on the way that we lived our life. Every work that we do, every work that we don't do will be judged. And Peter's desire is that if if Christ comes back in our lifetime or in a hundred lifetimes from now, that we be ready and prepared and that our life was not spent wasted, that we were ready and that we, were work, that we worked. One thing this, this reminds me of is something my mom used to always say. She would say, how would you feel if Jesus came back while you were doing that thing? You know, how would you feel if Jesus came back while you were watching that movie? How would you feel if Jesus came back while you were at that place? That was not what I wanted to hear as a teenager. And I think that, along with her saying, make good choices every time I walked out the door, was a pretty good uh, a pretty good combination of a way to kind of stir up a, a, ten- a teenager to try to live in a good way, in a, in a good holy way. Uh, I think it's far more effective than, than what would Jesus do. So maybe we should make, make some bracelets, and bear with me, that say W-Y-B-I-J-C-B-W-Y-W-D-T. <laughs> would you be embarrassed if Jesus came back while you were doing that thing? <laughs> would you be embarrassed if Jesus came back while you were doing that thing? somehow i think that has more that has less syllables than the acronym did but the idea though that i'm trying to make and i think peter is trying to make is that it, that we as justified and saved christians should try and should try hard to live diligent lives to lead blameless and spotless and unblemished and peaceful lives we'll never be perfect but our aim is to be found by christ as having been diligent to be found as having been diligent. So first, we seek salvation and and, and seek uh, to work diligently. And secondly, Peter calls us to avoid false teaching. To avoid false teaching. This is something that Peter's been very uh, adamant about. I think this is the purpose of his letter. Uh, But look at verses uh, 16 and 17 again. Talking about Paul's uh, writings, he says, As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters... There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So, Peter here is specifically referring to some portion of Paul's teaching that, that others have twisted. Uh, There's a lot of speculation about which of Paul's teachings were being twisted. The most likely seems to be that they were were twisting what what Paul speaks about, Christian freedom and those things, and and using that teaching to to defend a a life of of careless living, a life of sinful uh, living. But but Peter is clear, this, this twisting leads to destruction. And he tells his readers in verse 17, "...you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand..." So he's warning them, "...knowing this beforehand, take care..." Less, or take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So he says to them, you have been warned. You have been warned. Don't be like the ignorant and unstable who twist Scripture. And don't, and don't follow them who do that. Don't, don't fall into that teaching, but instead take care. And I think we do that. I think we take care by being grounded in the Scriptures, by looking at the whole counsel of God. Uh, and I think also, this is a, a good time to make a plug for being a part of a local church. I think being in a local church that it's, that's solid and, 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 you know, doctrinally uh, solid is a good way to, to ensure that we don't fall into false teaching. Because, for example, if, if I were to start thinking along some false lines or something, if I were to start thinking, eh, maybe Jesus wasn't, wasn't really, really born of a virgin, if I went to Matt and I said that, He's going he's gonna to correct me. He's, he's going to fix that. Or, or if I started regularly having a habit of, of talking harshly to my wife in public here in front of y'all, I would hope that someone would come to me and say, hey, hey, brother, that, that's not right. You know, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. And so I think that being a part of a fellowship of believers can keep us from making these mistakes, can keep us from falling into false teaching. And so I think that we can do a lot of taking care, as Peter says, just by being plugged into a faithful church. I think that's a good way to, to make sure that our Our doctrine and our actions stay within the Word of God and don't drift into false teaching. So we seek salvation of ourselves and others. We avoid false teaching. And then lastly, I want us to consider that we pursue sanctification as we wait. We pursue sanctification as we wait. The very last verse that Peter writes here, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the contrast to falling into false teaching and, and to having our lives thrown into destruction is to instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So I call this idea pursuing sanctification because given this context that we're waiting, I think this is what we're getting at. The fact that we are being sanctified, to grow in grace and knowledge is what it means to be sanctified. Sanctification is this lifelong progress or process that a Christian makes to become more and more like Jesus. And of course, we don't ever get there on this side of heaven. That's why it's a lifelong process. From the day we become a Christian to the end of our lives, we or should be at least steadily growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the goal, but it's also the aim and the measurement of, of, of a Christian life. Am I growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus? So how do we do that? What ways do we grow? Of course, it, it's something that happens over time. It's something that life just does to us. You know, sometimes you know losing a loved one or going through trials, those things sanctify us in a lot of ways. But I do think this is another way that we can be diligent. We can be diligent in our growth. And we do that through what we call the spiritual disciplines. Things like prayer, uh, Bible intake, Scripture memory, worship, uh, evangelism, discipleship. These are things that we do that I think aid us in our sanctification. Just like how we're waiting for Christ to come. That's, That's not something that we should be doing passively. We wait actively. And so also, you know, we can, we can be active in our sanctification. It does happen over time, and it happens naturally in Christian life, but we can, we can work even to, to bring about that uh, quicker and, and, and in a stronger way. And they're called disciplines because it takes discipline to do these things. Uh, and I do think these are some of the big ways that we grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus. And again, another shameless plug for, for being a part of a church. A lot of this stuff happens inside these doors. It it should happen outside these doors as well. But a lot of the things that that I just talked about, prayer, Bible intake, worship, discipleship, evangelism, a lot of these things happen inside these doors. Now hear me out, we should we should read the scripture on our own and with our family. And we should worship on our own and with our families. And if you have kids, you should be reading with your kids and praying with your kids and and worshiping with your kids. But as you come to church each week, you routinely do these things with other believers. And so it's a good way to start each week. Me and Matt were kind of talking about this either last week or this week and talking about you know, all the things that you do at church and how we, we hit these disciplines. And in the words of Matt, that ain't nothing. That's, that's something we're doing that, that is aiding us in sanctification. So again, that's just another a shameless plug for church attendance. And there are, of course, times where we can't be at church. There are people who are unable to come to church every week. I think, for example, about shut-ins, you know, people who just can't be here. And that's why it's great news that, that we can do this from our home. And that's, that's where the bulk of it should happen. But it is, for those who are able, a great way to start your week and to ensure that you are at least growing some each week, that you're at least hearing God's Word uh, preached and, and you're hearing and absorbing it and, and memorizing Scripture and, and talking with other believers and worshiping together each week. So we are waiting. We are waiting for the return of Jesus, for the new heavens and the new earth. And as we wait, the things that I think we should do based on what we read here is seek salvation of ourselves first and then of others, avoid false teaching, and pursue sanctification. In teaching these things, Peter has come back full circle to verse 14 when he asks, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So we should be awaiting people and actively waiting people. Peter writes to these Christians and to us today, begging us to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, because He is coming. In a moment, we'll have a hymn of invitation. If you're in Christ, then I want you to consider these tasks that Peter has has laid before us today and, and ask yourself, am I doing these things? Am I seeking the salvation of others? Am I actively avoiding false doctrine? by being grounded in Scripture, by being a part of a local church? Am I I growing and being sanctified and making progress towards faithfulness? Am I being diligent before the Lord? So it's a a call to, to get our hands out of our pockets and to be ready, to be prepared, to be diligent before the Lord. And if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, then I want to remind you of what Peter says in verse 15. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Up until this very moment, I can't speak for future moments, but up until this very moment, if you're alive and breathing, then God has been patient with you. And the call then is to turn from sin and turn to Jesus, to repent and turn in faith to Him. God's patience will not last forever, so today is a day to turn to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we've had to come together and to hear your word. And I ask that you would impress it on our hearts, dear God. That we would be diligent to use the time that you have given us, dear God, to seek the salvation of others, to, to, to grow, dear God, to, to be rooted in your word and your scripture, dear God. I pray that, 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 that this has happened even today, dear God, that we have grown uh, in your uh, in, in knowledge and grace of Jesus, dear God, that we have come closer to you through hearing your word, dear God. I pray that we would value this church as a a means by which you work out these things in our life sometimes, dear God, a means by which you uh, sanctify us and draw us near to yourself, dear God. Always I pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen.